Yes, Fandom Media episode 17 is episode 7, The Seventh Man. We're talking about The Expanse, of course, and this is going to be another spoilers at the end episode. There aren't a whole lot of book spoilers that pertain to this episode, but there are some, a few, enough for us to want to discuss them, but not enough that we want to make the whole episode unlistenable to people who haven't read the books. So, for those of you who have read the books... Good stuff at the end. It's a little extra. Meta elements. So as Aziz mentioned, this was the seventh man, and the obvious seventh man was the proto-soldier, the seventh person that was with the six UN Blues. Yeah. This episode was directed by Kenneth Fink, and it had Georgia Lee as the writer, and this was her first full written-for-TV credit. She's been a member of the staff writing team for a while, but she finally got a full episode. And what a great one. Yeah, definitely. How about that change in the intro sequence? Yeah, with Deimos, you can see that it's uh, rubble there if you look closely. Yep, they're doing the same thing Amos did. (laughs) Really rubbing it in. You noticed something about Anderson Dawes that I had never known before. That's right. He is the son of the actor that played Dumbledore in the Harry Potter movies. And in fact, his whole family is full of actors and directors and just people in that business. Shout out to Thomas Numpersong for our intro music. Thanks, buddy. And as well, Jason, the announcer, announcer Jason. That's why we call him that. (laughs) Who would have thought? Narrative. This episode is very focused, I think. There was three locations, and two of the locations are very kind of focused on each other. They're coming together, maybe you could say. Yeah, Earth and Mars. We're about to have that peace summit. Yeah, and then, of course, on Tycho Station, they're discussing being part of the peace summit themselves, sending a representative, because... You know, they have, like we said, they have the power. They have a seat at the table themselves now because of circumstances. (laughs) You know, I wonder if their representative might need to be able to handle Earth. Maybe they have to meet on the moon or something like that. I don't know. But yeah, they'll maybe they'll have to have a bunch of people around a table with one dude in water. (laughs) (laughs) So to start with Mars, we technically start with Ganymede because we see Bobby in the aftermath of this attack. And it's such a beautiful, such a beautiful opener. And we're going to talk about that in visual elements. So let's move on forward to Bobby after the aftermath. First of all, she wants a steak. She even wants it medium rare, which is the correct way to eat a steak. We all know. Now, this is before she finds out that she's the only survivor. And this is a clue to how jumbled her memories are. Maybe she has a concussion. She almost certainly has some early stage PTSD that, you know, will certainly come up again. She's not going to just forget, you know, what happened to her comrades there. We certainly see that she saw their suits destroyed and knew that they were dead. It just hadn't sunk in. Yeah, she had strong visual memory of it eventually. At the beginning, it's clear that there's a couple of important things going on here. First of all, Mars High Command, the whoever is in charge here. We never see them. This is something that we don't we haven't really gotten a look at yet, which is the people really in charge of Mars. But we know they're the ones calling the shots here for something so important because as we see quickly, this is a situation that war hinges on. So it's of vital importance to everyone 
And because of that, they want to get the information out of Bobby as clearly and correctly as possible. But they also want to take care of their own. They don't want to traumatize her to learn it. You know, watching this, I personally got a bad impression of Thorson and Martin's both. They both seemed untrustworthy to me. And this isn't because of anything in the books, just to be clear, at all. It definitely isn't. It's just, I think, that they did a good job at showing that Bobby is unsettled and herself doesn't know what to think of everything going on. And so those people were pretty scary to me, honestly, when they're interrogating her. Yeah, I think so, too. But, you know, as we find out, it's it's about whether or not a war could break out. And so they have to kind of push it a little bit. And you kind of understand what's at stake. And... At the same time, what's at stake? And as we hear, (laughs) and as we hear, Thorson says that the official story is going to be that the Martians shot first, which makes it seem that they are trying to de-escalate this situation. They can't say that there was something that we don't understand there at at this point, and they don't want to say that the UN Marines were the ones that came first and shot first, even though they technically shot first. Right, because if they say the UN Marines did it, then it sounds like they're blaming them. It sounds like they're lying. And if they blame something, then that's almost as bad, maybe worse, because then they're just saying, well, it wasn't us. And, and from Earth's side, they don't know anything about this seventh man. So to them, it's going to sound totally crazy and made up. So it, this is the only as dishonest and shameful as it is to admit to something fake like this, it's the one course of action that is most likely to de-escalate, which proves what Aversauer was saying, that they want this even more than Earth does. So (laughs) she was right. (laughs) (laughs) Martin's the chaplain was sort of a good cop, bad cop character that he was playing with Thorson, though it was kind of unfair to call Thorson a bad guy, but he came off that way in some ways. I'm not sure he was intimidating. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, still, this is basically the game they're playing here. He was the lifeline, the friendly face that, you know, so to speak. But really, he was kind of calling the shots from behind the scenes, although certainly he was answering to even higher up people off screen beyond him. We see here Bobby say that when she answered none, she was serious, which is saying that she's non-religious. She doesn't want to talk to a chaplain about this. Yeah, so that was kind of an interesting choice. I wonder if that was to make it seem less, the situation seem less engineered to make her put her off her guard a little bit, you know, so that they wouldn't be so obviously trying to get someone to trust her. I'm not really sure why they did that, but it's it's an interesting choice that made me think about it a lot. He's also the one that tells them to stop the interrogation as soon as she mentions the seventh man for the first time. Yeah, that really makes me suspicious of whether Martins knows about the protomolecule at all, whether he knows about protogen. Uh, We know something fishy has gone down on Ganymede. Absolutely. I think we'll have to wait and see because they definitely left it ambiguous. We see Bobby working really hard, maybe pushing herself too hard, perhaps. She does get that steak, you know, Marines need fuel. And we see this with Alex pushing himself too hard, trying to practice his piloting. Two Martians that are very hard working. I think it's a very similar thing. Uh, To be fair, I don't think Bobby could have done anything differently. No. Um, Alex maybe could have done something, maybe. And I think that's what he realized when he went over it a bunch of times is that he couldn't have really done better. We never did see him really succeed with that simulation. Yeah. So as we said, Avrasala was right about Mars's true intentions here, that they didn't want to escalate, that they would definitely want to talk peace, and she was right. We also see more and more talk about how she is a 
hero and she has a lot of quote political capital you might call it and that gives her a lot of credibility she was easily able to win the debate there with Aaron Wright who is kind of still pushing for war there and it's interesting to think about what is going on behind the scenes with him. We don't know if he's had further contact with Mao or not. Yeah, we don't know what he really knows about what happened at Ganymede or whether he has greater suspicions or what. Yeah, we don't even know what he knew in the first place as far as the scope of what Mao was doing, whether he was just backing him and directing him and giving him money or whether he was really in on... I mean, obviously he knows about the protomolecule, but he didn't show a lot of vision with what its capabilities were, as we saw. So, <laughs> so maybe he doesn't know a whole lot beyond that. You know, Mm -hmm. he may be in the dark about quite a few things still. We hear a little bit about Avasarala's past. We hear that, you know, she never ran for office, never wanted that. And she has a great line about that. And we hear a bit about her father, which was a neat parallel between Bobby and Avasarala, who both had men talking about their fathers who were in similar positions then. Yeah, right on. That was a really neat parallel. And you wonder what that's leading to anything, maybe? I mean, we certainly know that Bobby's going to be testifying at this peace summit. So she's definitely going to interact in some way with Avasarala. Definitely. And I think that will lead to some potentially interesting conversations. I really think that Bobby is the kind of character that... You know, she's stubborn, she's determined, but she and she's kind of warlike at this point, but she doesn't know any Earth people. She hasn't really met them personally on large scale of any kind. I mean, we have that line where she says that you're going to tell her a story, you know, an effing story, which is word for word something that Avasarala would say and love to hear someone say. Definitely. I think Avasarala's going to like her. She's going to like her bluntness. She's going to like her loyalty. She's going to like her rejection of authority, you know, <laughs> which is something that she would do. Uh, but but I think also Bobby has just had the revelation that it was some other thing that attacked the UN soldiers and her soldiers. So what's that going to make her think, you know, what's that going to do with as far as her feelings about Earth? <laughs> Fandomedia.reviews. Majority of the episode is at Tycho Station. There's a lot of the main characters there, and there's a lot of different plot lines going on there. But mostly, we get Anderson Dawes. That's mm. the main character coming back on the scene, being a part of almost every scene, stealing the scenes he's in. A lot of fun, but plenty going on besides him as well. We see everyone helping the refugees right away, um, showing them what good people they are, but also <laughs> showing the scale of the problem Ganymede being destroyed is a humanitarian crisis they've called it of epic proportions <laughs> Anderson Dawson a great character that had been missing for a while and all of a sudden is in just about every scene <laughs> with a lot of different characters he had you know one-on-one or one-on-two conversations with Drummer and Diogo and Naomi and Naomi and Holden. Yeah there's a lot of great conversations there. He's extremely persuasive and of course we have the huge summit between all the different Belter factions and him and Fred Johnson and that's the one that kicks it all off. He basically is able to out-talk everyone. He uses a lot of classic demagogue tactics that appeal to the crowd, something he's great at, and he is closer to them, you know, because it's Holden and Johnson who are Earthers. He has that to fall back on, even though he acknowledges their contributions. And he's just really good at seeming more casual and chill. Yeah, that's really true. (laughs) He does not get riled up, and he does not raise his voice. I mean, we see him just throwing supplies into the crowd, which is just 
perfectly descriptive of him as a character, that he's willing to just sow this bit of chaos, which where they have a set system to do these awesome things, but he gets the glory because he threw it into the crap. Like you were saying, Dawes uses a lot of Belterisms. He speaks the Belter Creole and he talks about things like sharing and how Earthers and Martians only think about possession and stuff like that, which is then mirrored, of course, when uh, he talks to Naomi and Holden and he brings up the legitimate salvage idea. Oh, very true. Very true. And that, of course, works. He has to agree and admit that they're right. And of course, he is able to get the crowd to say things along with him, like Belter sayings, and that just ties them to him even more, reminds them of who he is. He has this very distinct, distinct scar. His strategy is not to disagree. It's to agree, but take it a step further. He doesn't challenge Fred or Holden. He listens to what they have to say, then he congratulates them on how they've helped the Belt, which is kind of a put-down. At the same time, it's an acknowledgement. It's so they condescending. Can't, exactly. And he puts himself above them. He, he claps them on the shoulder. He definitely alphas them. I mean, he, he says idealism is a luxury of the inner planet. Yeah, exactly. He, he uses the exact same line that Johnson uses on Holden in the previous episode, which is, it's a beautiful dream. Yeah. You know, it's such a, it's a, it's great. It's true, I think, in a lot of ways. And he's right about a lot of things that, you know, that he says the, that peace he fears the peace of between Mars and Earth more than he fears the war because that's when they truly focus on the belt. He's kind of got a point. He also brings up how we measure time and how we measure age and things like that. And while I do think we generally need a standard, it is really interesting to think about how the days are just going to be longer or shorter depending on where they live and how are they deciding how their days go. Their circadian rhythms are going to change if they're living in these situations, but they're still going on a 24-hour Earth day. It's really fascinating. Yeah, it's like thinking about something like daylight savings time, which right now people in a lot of communities around America, for example, question the existence of. But you can see how in a situation where you live on another planet or you live on a space station where your sense of time would naturally be very different. This point is raised to Diogo in a really poignant way, which is shown over and over throughout this episode, is that Dawes uses his belter culture to bond with whoever he's talking to because he's just working his way through a bunch of different belters and, and, and trying to work them for information and make them into allies and befriend them and just do, you know, he's doing the politician things. Dawes asks Diogo how old he was. Diogo thinks that he's 19. Dawes says that he would be one on Jupiter, which is really a beautiful sentiment. The idea that Diogo is young and naive and just has his life starting it is it's really beautiful. It's a similar tactic. He's a little bit condescending by pointing out how young he is, but he also gives him the most set up obvious question was like, were you scared when you were floating out there beyond Hidalgo? <laughs> and of course, Diego's like, no. <laughs> He's like, no, I'm not afraid. You know, and that's just that way. He, he, it was a very calculated question. It's like, let this kid, you know, <laughs> say something, you know, to pump himself up or whatever, like let himself let him say that. And then he then he puts a little put down on him <laughs> to show how young he is. But then he comes out with the even their sense of time we get from them. Yeah. And he says, yeah, you're right. It was really amazing. So Diogo says he thinks he's 19. How old do we think Andrew Rotilio, the actor, is? I don't think he's that young. No, I don't think so. He seems more like he's at least in his mid-20s, maybe even older. Yeah, I think so too, but he plays young really well. Diogo just looks like so naive and like a teen boy that I totally believe it. But maybe Diogo is actually older than that. Maybe. <laughs> 
One thing that I love about the Diogo scenes when we see his rooms, I like just seeing the stuff that he has hanging up on his walls. You know, <laughs> stuff like the, the space pinups and all that. I really want to know more about the culture of this society. Like, what actors are big? What kind of movies? We hear, obviously, Holden talk about space gladiator movies and that reference to Airplane back earlier this season. <laughs> so we know they have space gladiator movies, but... I wish we could see a movie set in the Expanse world. <laughs> That'd be amazing. Another really funny thing to think about here is that Diogo has no idea that Dawes and Miller were actually not close at all. Yeah. That Miller kind of hated the guy. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he just is able to make that claim. He knows Miller's gone. He knows Miller was on series. So it's believable. Like, of course, Dawes and, and Miller would have had contact with each other. Of course they would have. They're two big, you know, luminary figures, like, in Diogo's mind. If he really thought about it, he would realize, you know, that Miller was before, like what Johnson said, a suicidal pain in the ass ex cop blah 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 <laughs> so, you know another thing that is funny to think about what the characters know is that when Dawes goes to talk to Holden and he says he reminds him of someone and that he's just missing the hat, <laughs> Holden wouldn't get this. Holden's never seen Miller with the hat on. Miller yeah. left it on series. Yep, that was an inside joke just for the audience, I suppose. And it's really incredible how it comes to play out. The other thing is that Dawes wouldn't know that Miller left his hat either. Ha! That's true. He may have thought he was communicating Miller directly, but it went right over his head. <laughs> if he had had a hat, maybe it wouldn't have. Now, and of course, this turned out to be foreshadowing, which is really a great piece of writing here, I think. Holden, of course, goes at the end of the episode with gun drawn to go apparently shoot Cortazar, which is Miller shooting Dresden. It's really very, very similar. And... This is a bit like what Naomi did with the torpedo decision, you know, taking something upon yourself to make this decision. Although I will say that in all of these other cases, in both Holden wanting to destroy the proto-molecule, Holden wanting to kill Cortazar, Miller killing Dresden, you can't come back from that. Right. Naomi but, took a decision that you can come back from that gives you more options. It's not permanent. Yeah, they kill, shooting someone in the head, is that's the it. Yeah. Now, of course, the whole point of killing Cortazar is to stop all proto-molecule research. Now, the whole reason that Dawes has shown up on Tycho Station in the first place is that he suspects something else is going on. He wants to get involved in the process and he quickly figures out if he hadn't already before he got there that Fred Johnson has something up his sleeve. He has another weapon or technology or perhaps he knows more about what went on Eros. That's a pretty straightforward conclusion for him to have made. He knows it's something because of how willing he is to give up the missiles and send a representative. You know the OPA is not, you know, one huge faction, so there's going to be people with Fred that are willing to gossip and talk about what's going on. Dawes is going to know a fair bit already, but then he gets there and you see that he already knows Drummer, Fred's second-in-command, and seems to have a close relationship with her. Certainly she was running around Ceres when she was much younger and calls him Pompa, and he calls her Sitara Mali, which means little star. Ah, nice. And... Then we see them go off to talk, but we don't see this conversation, which raises the question of what Drummer said. She could have not meant to give him some very useful information, but still done it. And she could have meant to give him some useful information that isn't too useful. Yeah, he's got something out of her. I would guess that it was something he weaseled out without her meaning to give it out. I got the sense that when she cursed upon finding out that he had stolen Cortazar, 
that she was genuinely upset about it. She was, she, cause, you know, it wasn't like acting. She didn't have any reason to particularly make it to, to pretend to be upset there. Except that Fred was in the room with her. She does have a reason to pretend to be upset, in my opinion. I still think that she didn't know that this plan was afoot, but I don't think she didn't have a reason. It's possible that Drummer brought something to do with Diogo up. And there's a lot of things that she could have just brought up that would have seemed like a great opportunity to Dawes. We have this conversation with Drummer and Dawes where they have a lot of belterisms. And one that they have is the idea of sucking on a stone for constipation. <laughs> and it's a funny image, but specifically they used to say that you should suck on a stone if you were dehydrated because it would make your saliva move around. You're not actually getting any hydration, but you feel better. So I wonder <laughs> if that's like a similar idea but put for space? Maybe. You never know in these belters. <laughs> <laughs> so we have this scene with all of the different factions and Earthers there at the OPA meeting. And in that scene, Dawes interacts a small bit with Naomi and seems to see that she maybe is sympathetic to him. And yeah. then he goes to talk to Naomi and Holden. And maybe he went to go talk to Naomi, but Holden happened to be there too. Yeah, I don't think he wanted to talk to Holden at all. Holden clearly in the meeting showed himself to be very stubborn, not really willing to compromise. Certainly, that's his reputation that precedes him as well. So Naomi, however, is someone that he could work his sort of, hey, I'm a belter, you're a belter. And as you see, he even, every time Holden would bring something up, Dawes would kind of change his body position to be looking at Naomi, to be trying to direct things at her, and Holden would just keep getting involved and yeah. talking for her, which is not not very attractive to see someone just talking over you. And she really did want to talk to Dawes, I think. Yeah, I think that part of it was that Holden was kind of re reacting to how condescending and constantly in charge Dawes was by this is how Holden is. He chafes under authority and Dawes was trying to exert his authority on the situation and trying to kind of hone in as he saw it on his, not his, maybe not his relationship with Naomi, but his sort of trust with Naomi and try to kind of come in between them. He saw that as a bit of a threat. Naomi, on the other hand, seems to generally just not like most politicians and think they're corrupt, but she seems to like Dawes better because at least he's a belter in charge of belters and she's seen tangible results that he's done. Exactly. In, it's, in other words, Holden kind of sees him as a seedy kind of politician guy, but... Slumlord. But Na Naomi is like, well... That's most of them, but he at least represents belters, and we need at least have some of those out there. She also, if you remember, was very distrustful of Fred. I mean, he's an Earther who killed a bunch of people and is now with the belt, and she kind of distrusts OPA members in general, so she distrusted him, but now it seems to have come that she's more on Fred's side. Yeah, she seems to have definitely come around. Partly because of Drummer, perhaps, because Drummer trusts him and she, you know, seems to have bonded with her a little bit, at least. That's a good point. Fandomedia.reviews. Of course, everything with Dawes culminates in a plot to steal Cortazar, and that happens just at the right time, apparently, as, as Holden was going to uh, make that impossible for good. Yeah, and I definitely thought they were going to kill Cortazar originally. I will say I had seen the images for the episodes, the spoiler images, you know, they have the stills released weeks ago, and I'd seen that photo of Diogo outside Cortazar's room, and I was like, oh, I guess Diogo's gonna pull a Miller here. No, I was falsely spoiled. Yes, they tricked us, tricked us good. 
And I'm glad he's still alive. I wouldn't exactly call him a likable guy, but I really like the character because I think he's compelling and I really likes his interactions with Amos. And I just think he's very poetic. Yeah, he is, does have a really nice way of speaking. The actor's awesome. Yeah, absolutely. So the scene with him and Amos is beautiful. He has a lot of different things that he says to Amos that I think are identifiable for a lot of people today and the idea that, you know, we have a lot of emotions that can feel so uncontrollable and people will self-medicate and they will get prescription drugs and it can make them feel numb. Yeah, I agree. And it seems like he has a bit of a bond with Amos. It's not a bond of empathy, clearly, (laughs) but they have been having some conversations and he sees him as somewhat kindred, clearly from the way he talks to him. And I think that's really fascinating. And I think he thinks that he can help him here. He thinks that he just needs to go all the way and he'll feel great. Yeah, because it worked for him. How he described what had happened to Amos as a a youth was really interesting. How he called it cauterizing your emotions in order to survive, that sort of thing. And he says, you need to step on the the embers to get rid of the rest of it. (laughs) (laughs) And it seems like Amos is going in the other direction, though. It seems like he wants to dive into that a little bit and open it back up i agree it seems like he wants to feel not that he wants to get rid of what little feeling he has and before this scene with cortazar we have this really intense moment for him with that kid when they're passing out supplies which was really well filmed and moving and uh, you really just felt his trauma definitely i was it was really really caught me off guard i didn't see that coming at all i also really liked hearing about the churn flashback and i have some hopes that maybe we might see it i it'll be it would be a hard flashback to film because it wouldn't be west chatham in the yeah. role and they would have to really get the casting right but maybe one day they will find the right actor now to be clear the churn is a short backstory novella about amos and where he came from and all that that's where he gets the talk about lydia and all that exactly some of my favorite lines in the episode are in the scene with Cortazar and Amos when he's just talking about the protomolecule and how it devours old constructs and recreates them and it only moves forward. I, I would really love to see him interact with one of the Mormons, especially you know the ones that are going on the Nauvoo in particular. It's like you have this scientific fervor versus religious fervor, and they're both you know they're both zealots, but they're vastly different types of zealots. <laughs> if I have one complaint about this episode. It's there was very little Alex. We didn't even get to see him do a magic trick. I know. You said he was going to. What a tease. But that was really was very sweet to hear him saying he was going to do magic for the kids. And then later we see just him and Naomi on a mission. Yeah, that was cool. Which is very far from the norm. And I was really worried because, I mean, Alex is a badass in the pilot seat, but we don't see much of him on the ground. And while Naomi is a badass, we still also haven't seen her get down to any action. Yeah, and she was real hesitant to do this, even though, as we know, it wasn't because she was afraid. It was she didn't want to possibly shoot belters. Exactly. Visual elements. So the episode started with my favorite shot of the series so far, which is the red snow, the blood flakes landing on Bobby's helmet. And it was just so stunning, that macro photography of the blood flake and then of Bobby herself and the aftermath of the attack. These just gorgeous close-up shots. It's like really my favorite scene that they've ever filmed. It was beautiful. Yeah, it gave me the slight reminder of the blue protomolecule floating bits, but this was just so much more detailed and beautiful yeah, and detailed. just more meaningful. True. 
We also get a lot of interesting filming styles with Bobby in this episode period in that she has this interrogation drug and they have a really interesting filmmaking style for this where they get very close up shots again here and we see Bobby experience Thorson take the drug and then we see Bobby take the drug and then it gets really crazy because everything is very vibrant in her memory when she's looking back. It's just much more colorful and even more beautiful than the opening scene was. Yeah, it was really reflected in the way that they carried out the interrogation. They built up the intensity of the interrogation and they built up the visual intensity of it by having, you know, regular interrogation. It was They still made it intense with the blood coming out of her mouth and her shaking <laughs> with, as she learned the fate of her fellow soldiers. And then, as you say, they go back and forth with the focus drug. And then you also see her when she's still recovering and having this PTSD as she's walking through the ship and sparks are flying and she's looking at people a little suspiciously that she just is not all herself still. Yeah. Several episodes in a row now, we've had really cool stuff with Cortazar. So I hope we're not seeing the last of that. Because Does Dawes have that kind of equipment? I don't know. They got his data cores, but maybe they'll be able to find him what he needs. But those every time he's like sifting through cool things and he's moving things around and he's looking, he's drawing these amazing diagrams. <laughs> Just like we saw Bobby recovering from this trauma and how intense it was for her, we see that when Amos was freaking out with, you know, the camera angles and the music and obviously his acting, that it was very moving. Yeah, it was really good. There's this, there's a kind of a, a trade-off when you go from book to show or show to book. There's certain things that both mediums can do better. And the substitute for the straightforward thoughts from someone's point of view is their facial acting because it's the closest you can get to genuine emotion, things that you know aren't fake. Because when you hear someone's thoughts written out on a page, you know they're real. You know they're not lying to you with their inner thoughts. Just like facial reactions just can't be faked in certain ways. Well, the actors yeah. can do it, but that's the point. They're trying to show you things that humans aren't supposed to fake. And that's when you know someone is a great actor. Obviously, any episode with belters is going to have some great belter hair, belter makeup, tattoos. Yeah, that one guy with his face tattoos was crazy. <laughs> and of course, as I pointed out earlier, Dawes neck scar, the helmet scar that, that all the belters have a tattoo of, that he has the natural version of, I suppose. Yeah, it adds such a great level of depth to every scene with him and with Melters with that tattoo in that they can't help but idolize him or look up to him in some small way. He's the real deal. Yeah. Audio elements. Before Bobby is rescued, there's this dreamy sort of hazy music because she's not fully conscious. She doesn't exactly know what's happened. She's got a concussion probably or she's lost blood, etc. All these things. But we do hear her breathing and that adds intensity to the moment. Later on, as she's recovering, there's this sort of memory music, which is a little mild and very much towards the background. It's real tinkly, I can mm -hmm. say. <laughs> and it's there's basically, in general, you could say there's different music at different times that as the interrogations build, as they get more intense, so does the music that accompanies them. And we already mentioned the scene with Amos freaking out, but of course, the sound there with those like ringing and all that goes a long way to making you feel unsettled. Right on. And, of course, they did this similar thing to make us feel unsettled with the this repetitive drumming during the chase scene. Of course, that was all about building false tension, as it turned out. <laughs> and that's what they meant to do. They went over the top with the drums to make it sound like it was really intense just to build up that reveal of it being nothing. Do you think it was drummer? Oh. <laughs> 
And what a great trick, because it tricked me, the viewer, for quite a while until they were just about to the ship is when I think we all realized it's just going to be like one person or no one there. And of course it was Diogo. Yeah. Like, oh, of course. Yeah, sacrificial <laughs> lamb. Also, it made me like, of course Dawes had Diogo be the person to do this. Yeah. Diogo's going to love it, but it's actually pretty awful that he did that. It's not going to have, it's not like he's going to just be let go. Yeah, I do wonder what they're going to do to him, Fred and Holden and them, what their reaction is going to be. I tend to think Diogo is safe. Yeah. For now. They'll keep their eye on him. <laughs> <laughs> Final thoughts. So we're going to get into our favorite moments of the episode now. And after that, we're going to give you a warning and we're going to get into book spoilers. There's only, a, you know, five different things we want to talk about there. So not very long, but we will give you a warning. So Aziz, what was your favorite moment? First of all, honorable mention to Thorson for what has to be one of the greatest side eyes in history delivered <laughs> after Bobby is surly back at him about telling a story again. <laughs> but... Best of all, I thought, was Dawes's line of even our sense of time we get from them. That was perfect. It really hit hard. It, it said a lot of things at once. It was, hey, I never thought about that. It was also, hey, maybe Diogo never thought about that. Oh, mm -hmm. hey, maybe if Diogo has thought about it, maybe he's upset about it. So it just did a, just sparked a whole bunch of thoughts upon thoughts that were all about that moment and how Dawes is really good at bonding with his fellow belters. What about you? My favorite moment was definitely the opening shots of the episode with Bobby in the aftermath of Ganymede and with the red snow. I just thought it was a really striking, iconic image, completely beautiful and so detailed. And it made me think actually about whether blood would crystallize in that form. And apparently it probably wouldn't or it wouldn't because it doesn't have the same composition as H2O. And this is a show that usually tries to get the science right. So I... Wanted to give them the benefit of a doubt, but I don't care because it was really gorgeous. Yeah, it was so cool. Fandomedia.reviews. Okay, folks, here's our warning. If you don't want any book spoilers, time to say goodbye for now, and we'll see you next time on Fandomedia. Thanks for joining us. For sticking with us for the book spoilers, well, here we go. First of all, the most exciting mention for me in the episode was just one word. Fred mentioning the Inaros faction. That's right. When he's reaching out and mentioning a bunch of groups as a sampling, as he says, well, we're all here, blankety, blankety, blankety. Yep. He says, Black Sky. One of them is Inaros. So if you're wondering why the Inaros faction could be there while Naomi is there, even though they have clearly a conflict, well, obviously it wasn't the ruling people. It wasn't Marco himself. Yeah, it just was someone in his group that isn't him or that, his son. That doesn't have a relationship with Naomi. She was a little uneasy there, but one doesn't necessarily have to know that it's because of that. But it might be exactly that. And, you know, it's funny. Until you mentioned that, I didn't even consider that as a reason why she looked uneasy. But I think it probably was a reason that she looked uneasy. One thing that the show possibly clarified, but maybe changed a little bit, was Cortazar. We see in The Vital Abyss that he's with, you know, mysterious belters, and that he's eventually used as a bargaining chip with Duarte, the Martian that is going off doing his own thing. So I wonder if this means that this is closer to the faction of belters that did that bargaining. I think it must be. And I think that that's probably how the book and show are going to kind of come back together again. They're, they're going off a bit. And one of the reasons they're going off is because in the books, as we know, there's like an 18-month jump after the collision of Eros and Venus. And here we're seeing what happens during that interim. So they don't have a lot of book stuff to cover. They're kind of making up new things. And it's good stuff, but 
That's why there's less spoiler material to discuss, incidentally. Yeah, a lot of people were maybe unhappy with how this episode actually didn't really have anything from the books much at all. I mean, we've changed how Bobby seems to be handling things here. We're seeing the OPA meeting. I love it. I thought it was intriguing when we heard at the beginning of Caliban's War that Holden and the Rocinante crew had just been catching pirates for the OPA. I really wondered about what the OPA had been up to, so I like seeing it. And I certainly like seeing this calm before the storm before they see what's going on with Venus. I definitely like what's been going on in Tycho Station, and I definitely like what's going on with the Rosinetti crew instead of the time jump. So yeah, I agree with you. I think this is great. We're obviously going to see what's going on with Venus pretty soon as it's been set up with Dr. Eterby, who's going there with a science ship. And eventually we will be seeing, if you remember, there's the Arbogast that gets that science ship that gets deconstructed by the proto-molecule while it's outside Venus. And so we have been confirmed we are going to see that. And Exciting. So I'm wondering if it'll be Dr. Turby's ship. Uh-oh. <laughs> <laughs> Another thing that is different, but I think will probably come to the same place, is this difference with the suit camera plot and the Bobby interrogation, in that in the books, they can't read Bobby's suit camera because it's old. They don't know that, and they think they have no footage. Bobby realizes that they can convert it over to something that they can read, and they see that information. Here... They haven't exactly hinted at it, but we have seen Bobby with her suit, that she still has her suit, and they've talked about the camera feeds, and I think that would be the easiest way for them to actually solve this the way that they did in the book. So I think we will still see this, and then we will actually get footage of what happened. Yeah, and that's going to be really interesting. Earlier in the episode, I mentioned that we were looking forward to the obvious Bobby and Avrasala meeting, but really what I would have said if I was using book spoilers is I'm really looking forward for for Bobby working for Avrasala <laughs> because that's even better. And we've also seen a scene of this in the trailers and promotional material for this season. We saw Avrasala telling Thorson, I think it was, to shut up and let her effing speak. Oh. So it's going to be awesome. And next week we have Praxidiki coming in. All right, yeah, we get to see things from the Ganymede point of view. Uh, well, as we back up slightly and see things from another perspective. Yeah, I'm excited for them to do that slight back up in time. It's a cool thing to do. Definitely. If you have a moment, please rate us on iTunes or whatever other podcatcher you're using. We could really use it. the exposure. It helps small shows like us get out there. You'd be surprised how much it helps. Thanks again for listening to Fandom Media. I'm Fanderson Dawes. And I'm Fandrew Rotilio. 